Welcome to the Cinephile Hits of Hit podcast, a tirade film movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I am William. I was trying to think, like, what would, what would my cool, like, Ooh. short name be? Like, there's Rick, yeah. but there's Ricky. Like, you're, I mean, you're Will, already Will. Right? I'm already Will, so I don't know if there's a cool... Well, anyway, I'm William Johnson. It doesn't matter. So, all right. <laughs> it's all good. Late, ladies and gentlemen, we're damn glad to have you. This is all for tangent's sake. We're shared passions and high fives. Watch Waiting Place for Hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love, but for now, the gloves are off and hissy fit is on. Uh, this time around here, folks, uh, we got a little something special, a little something different for you. We're going to record a watch-along commentary for Casablanca, which has been probably recommended more by me than anybody else because it's my number one all-time favorite movie. And I feel yes. like this commentary is, this was Will's request, let me tell you, more than me just loving this as a movie, where I feel like I'm being duped. Like, I feel like I have to, I'm going to, I mean, I don't have to watch this movie. I love to watch this movie, but I feel like this is a, well, we recorded yours. Now I'm going to have to go watch like kill, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes 2 or something and do the same thing for Will. <laughs> no, no, I, I never would do that. I, I, I honestly was thinking, because uh, I, I don't know about you, but I mean, my favorite special feature, and I still look for it if I do buy physical media, which isn't very often. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it has it, sometimes it doesn't. Like I was very disappointed that the the nope uh, Blu-ray mm. DVD thing or HD, whatever the hell it's called, you know, that it doesn't have a commentary by Jordan Peele. But yeah. anyway, my my favorite my favorite uh, special feature on any kind of physical media is a commentary. So I just like I like to have that feeling of like buddies watching movies, you know, and yeah commenting on it and having that like company that you have so i was just like you know what let's do one we've been talking about doing them for a while but i was like why not like give don like the blessing of his favorite movie you know so oh man shoot pressure here because i when you talk about commentaries and great commentaries on disc i'm following greatness here because the roger ebert commentary on this disc is so chef kiss so I have to follow that. Oh boy! All right. Um, no, no, you know what? No, and I've, done, I've done a little bit of. Uh, I did a little bit of research uh, on this, um, and we'll go into it while we watch the movie. But yeah, I just uh, you know I, I'm I'm excited to talk about this with you because I, I do want to get your take on sure. your favorite film. You know, so it, it counts as that. Well, so folks, here's how this is going to be. This intro we're talking to you now is just all clean and easy. And uh, we're going to start this movie, I believe, at about the eight-second mark because HBO Max isn't kind of pauses and my Blu-ray isn't either. So, um, so for I, I tell you what, we're going to do. A, I will do something to kind of help this kind of steer along. Uh, I will we'll break for kind of a short announcement for ruminations just to pay the bills, and then when we come back, um, we'll kind of have this. Well, once again, kind of kind of hit the clapboard and say eight seconds. Um, which wouldn't put you too terribly far behind. So um, yeah, and we will break. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, Will. I was going to say, to make it more confusing, it's at the eight-second mark. So Don has his uh, Blu-ray, right? You have your Blu-ray. Yeah. I have the HBO Max pulled up. So uh, uh, we're both at eight seconds. So I, lag. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. So I don't, know, I don't know how big of a lag, but I can't imagine it being more than a second or something. What we'll right. do is... When we get back from the commercial break, we'll go one, two, three, and then uh, one, two, three, play, and me and Don will hit play at the same time, and we'll relatively be on the same pace, and hopefully you will be as well. Right. And if not, it'll all sink in. It'll all right. Be. So, ladies and gentlemen, 
Please enjoy a short announcement from Ruminations Radio Network. What's up, gang? This is Hoptimus. You've been listening to one of the great new podcasts from Ruminations Radio Network. If you want some more tasty sound vibes, come check out my new podcast, The Retro Futurist Culture, where we talk about alternate timelines, cyberpunk, anime, and other crazy worlds. If that does not strike your fancy, we have plenty of other great shows at RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. All right, welcome back, folks. All right, everybody. Uh, we're going to count to three, and we're, I'm going to say play out loud, and uh-huh. then me and Don are going to start with play. All right. So, one, two, three, play. All right, I think All we're right. in. So um, another thing I want to tell you real up, up front here, uh-huh. and I, lear- I learned this from uh, – Tarantino cinema speculation actually. I want you to take a look at some of the credits for the crew and see yeah. if you can spot a future big name uh on the okay. crew. Um I know the play and yeah, so these names it's on I know, this I it's on this one right here. It's on this okay. one right here. See if you can see it. Uh Don Siegel? Yep. Montages no. by Don Siegel. Yes, Don Siegel, the future okay. director of Dirty Harry. Escape oh, from Alcatraz. Oh, um, yeah, I was reading in the book, um, mm-hmm. cinema, cinema speculation that, uh, yeah, uh, that's that's how he made his money for the longest time. He directed montage sequences, so anything you see in here that's a montage mm-hmm. um, is we're watching Don one Siegel. now too. Yeah, yeah. So this is all Don Siegel, future, you know, legendary director. Uh, you know, you got so. the smoke and the globe. He's doing he's doing it right. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. Um, but uh, let's let's start with uh, why this is your okay. favorite film, and, and how did how did you find it? When did you first watch it, and why did it become your favorite? Well, I, I'll, I'll spin it one way. One piece of this movie that marvels me the most, and it's kind of going, it goes hand in hand with this montage we're watching. Is um, I I like the movie because it's a bit of everything. You have some comedy, you have some drama, you have some thriller, you have some noir, you have some intrigue. And it all comes together with great cast and fantastic people. But one of the things that impresses me the most about this, where I'm like, how could this ever be done again or in the same way? Because this normally gets kind of credited to be like this, you know, the best of the studio era, you know, the, the machine and the factory got one right, you know, that kind of thing. But you have to realize this was made in 42 mid-war. Like we had just yeah. gotten through Pearl Harbor. So this is an unknown war, an unknown situation. I know they're t- obviously we're watching a movie where they talk about, you know, concentrate concentration camps and obviously the Germans and the French and all that. And it's not that Hollywood didn't have a way of making them the villains for a good long time and Hollywood's been very, you know, democratic and kind of anti-fascism and all that. But what amazes me about the spirit of this movie, how it goes beyond just being really clever and really good, is that fact that this was all done with hope, with the idea that uh, this is still an ongoing war. We don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know who's going to walk into the sunset and win. Yet here's this movie with this brimming hope, not just in the romance, but in the political part of things. And I, I love that I can step back from this movie and realize just how, how just I can't name a movie that's done this. Like most of the time, it's hindsight's twenty twenty. Hollywood makes these movies and. You know, we know how the war turns out. We know how it all went down. You know, rare to see something in the middle of a conflict speak yeah. with these kinds of high, high hopes. And that's what always gets me a bunch. Well, it's funny because 
yeah, I was I was thinking about that because this is the second time I'm watching this today, actually, because I watched it for the first time in about two decades uh, today. Um, mm. uh, I was lucky. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about my first time real quick before I before I let you do it. But uh, I yeah. I saw this at the Tampa Theater. Uh, Tampa Theater was uh, I was probably 13 or 14. This is one of those um, legendary old Hollywood theaters. You know, it's in, obviously mm-hmm. in Florida, but, you know, it has a balcony, 3000 seats, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I got to see it on the big screen for the first time uh, when I was a teenager. And then, like I said, I haven't really seen it since. So uh, but anyways, uh, with your comment, um, that that's the interesting thing, because this doesn't. This film, despite being mid-war and and obviously, you know, made by the United States and filmed entirely mm-hmm. in California, it doesn't reek of propaganda either. Like it doesn't it doesn't like I mean, the Nazis of course are shown as bad. Um but the kind of environment that's here uh everybody is kind of a suspect in a sense in terms of their morals, their ethics. So it it doesn't stink of like pure good versus pure evil. And, you know, and if anything, the fact that we did not know what was going to happen with Germany at this point Mm -hmm. in 1942. And and I think the the film was released wide in 1943 uh, does, does have that element of extra danger to it because you're just Mm -hmm. like, you know, you never know. It, it, some people probably are thinking, um, you know, without hindsight that, you know, if this doesn't go right in, in five years, we could be speaking German, you know, in L.A. So right. or, or this a, movie could be looked at as like, oh, what a cult, cute, hopeful little thing, you know, like, oh, that was right. cute when that's something. And then all of a sudden, luckily, you know, the Allies won the war and this can be looked back upon as like a nice little beacon of a movie. But oh, yeah. Yeah. But when was your uh, when was your first time seeing it? How did when did you I see? It I saw time? this. I saw this for the first time on probably VHS in my dorm room in college because nice. I had um I had heard I've been I was a gravel road farm kid who never had cable, so I get to college and all of a sudden I get Turner Classic Movies for the first time, and I, I as a guy who was picking up film and really enjoying myself, I, I discovered just Humphrey Bogart. I think I watched maybe like uh, Maltese Falcon first, and I'm like, man, that guy's really good and Oh, yeah, it's Humphrey Bogart. You need to see Casablanca, some professor probably told me. So I hunted it down from the video store. I was working at the video store at the time. Uh, yes. And then, yeah, I saw it, and it just stuck. The music, the spirit of it all, the, the romance, the intrigue. Here we go, Claude Rains with comedy. I just, uh, it had everything. And I, I couldn't, couldn't stop doing homework on Bogart, on the movie, and it mm. just captivated me, and, like few movies have. And um, I've been able to see it a bunch since then, owned it, on, owned it in every format I can. Um, I just saw it again probably two, three weeks ago when it dropped on 4K to for Ian Simmons' show. Shout out to Ian Simmons of the Kicking and Sea podcast. So, nice. yeah, I, I just, um, it was my, my, my first email address was CasablancaDon at Yahoo.com. Nice. Still is to this day. So, yeah, it was just a formative, <laughs> like, burgeoning film fan experience for me where, you know, I wasn't a cinephile. I was still kind of a, you know, an 18, 19-year-old bro who was just enjoying silly movies and stuff like that. But then this one hit me, and it just was amazing. So. Well, it's, it's it's interesting too because I was doing a little research on this because I, I I know all the tall tales and probably some of the uh, apocrypha about Casablanca, but you know I, I after watching it I was like, hey, I'm going to sit down and just read the history of this, you know, and uh, just like uh, you know, Singing in the Rain ten years later or however many years later, or even yeah. um, only a few year la- few years later, like um, 
um what's the what's the christmas movie that everyone loves uh with oh, it's a wonderful uh, life yeah it's a wonderful life like this movie wasn't necessarily a huge box office hit it it, it did win best picture at the oscars but it mm-hmm. wasn't considered like like it wasn't like an instant classic and and like those other two films i just mentioned like they they had legs later you know mm-hmm. and they've they've kind of become you know kind of the same thing with citizen kane as well citizen kane wasn't yeah. a, didn't even win best picture people didn't think much of it right they thought of it but it wasn't like considered the greatest film ever like like right, right. often in lists so i always find that very interesting because it is it reminds me of a phrase you say all the time cream always rises to the top it um, does yeah because um i was looking at some of the other films that were hits or nominated mm-hmm. for best picture. And some of them you can't even remember or know a single thing about. And this one obviously yeah. continues through time. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, fun, fact, yeah. fun fact in these scenes here, like the, uh, this waiter you see often with the, the ruffled gray hair and the glasses and then the bartender with the pencil mustache and a lot of these different side characters, even the dealer of the roulette table. They're all some of the best international actors in the world that kind of Mm-hmm. weren't known because Hollywood didn't get that far and they all kind of like got out of Nazi occupied Europe in time to kind of come over to Hollywood and try to get some jobs and like you know in their home countries these these folks you see like that gentleman there are huge but here they're just fun ensembles to extra players you know and sure, next sure. to our people yeah well you know what's what's also very surprising about watching this from a 2022 mm-hmm. perspective, because I, I Ooh, guarantee yeah. you, I, I I did not get a lot out of this when I was 14 compared to me being 40 now. So, you know, yeah. things are different, but this also doesn't have, I, I mean, unless I'm forgetting something big, like there, there doesn't seem to be any cringy racial stuff. Like, no. you know what I mean? Like it's, no. it doesn't, it doesn't have that, you know, um, like where they're promoting the otherness of these other cultures. Like it's yeah. where it's like, Oh, there's a Chinese person or, Ooh, there's, oh. you know, look at how crazy these, uh, you know, these uh, Moroccans are like, it, it actually has right. a very. Uh, yeah. Steady, you have, yeah. You uh, have a rainbow of patrons in here. Like this is a very busy little, you know, establishment where you, you, as that little montage through in here, you have like, you, you have a turban, you have little caps, you know, you have all these little pieces and parts, but they're not, screaming with their stereotypes are very true and even like uh peter laura here like i'm you know it's kind of racially ambiguous or i should say demographically mm-hmm. ambiguous what he's playing but at the right. same time it, it all works and like even our our pudgy competing uh bar owner ferrari later like that's you know sydney greasebeard who's just an actor's professional movie villain but like he's not overtly playing you know it's not john reese davies playing an arab in indiana jones you know and <laughs> Yeah, stuff like that, where it's it's just thin, you know, just easy characterization, simple simple ideas, and they keep sticking yep. with it. And they let the wartime politics kind of speak for themselves because, and we'll get to it later. But like the the scene where it's the Germans singing against the the French favorites, it's like that would be a cringy scene today if it was like a singing Star Spangled Banner during someone trying to play the Russian national anthem. Like that would play awful in different eras. But oh, here, well, it just I mean. Works. You know? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the end of the Deer Hunter, um, oh yeah, good, where good they, they all decide to sit, like start singing 
God bless America or whatever. And it's like, mm-hmm. what? like, you're like, what the hell yeah. is this? Like talk about <laughs> being like, ever think of doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like knocking, just knocking it over the head a little bit with the symbolism mm-hmm. there. But this is, this and would some be something that scene is a knockout. Like the one in here is, is the, the singing, the competing singing. That's probably the closest knock on your head scene you got in this movie. I know, but at the same time, it feels like, well, that's, that to me is the brilliance of this movie is that, um, you have this mixture like of cultures and situations. It's almost like, like purgatory, <laughs> like for something. It's like, you know, you've got so many different things. It's like, you can have, I think it's called, what is it called? The Vichy French. Yeah. The so Vichy occupied France. Yeah. Vichy occupied France. So you, you kind of got them and they don't necessarily have to, bow down to the nazis so some of them do yeah. some of them don't some of them are like play with them but then right. like you said we, we just saw a scene where you've got like uh a, an asian woman i'm not sure if she was chinese mm-hmm. or uh, probably not japanese but uh you know chinese or yeah. uh you know uh korean and then you've mm-hmm. got like you said you've got africans you've got uh you know uh french uh swedish you got all kinds of people in yeah. here and it, it kind of like it, it, it's kind of like a no man's land or a neutral zone where anyone cool. can, which is really cool. And and I know this, uh, yeah, I just, it kind of blew me away that, you know, yeah. there's no real, there's no real, not, not just a hero, but right. There's, but yeah, the intrigue it, is there. It, like you said, it, it could be anybody. you like, who's right, going to be a right. good guy. Who's going to be a bad guy. How much betrayal can, could there be? Um, and you, because you have this, you know, this no like you said no man's land and, and of and not to quote the movie but like of all the places that this sort of thing happens here's an american likely from brooklyn running this place you know like like in vichy france of all the places it's an american dude named rick with the best club in the world where all these <laughs> crossroads land fun fact yeah. Dewey wilson does not know how to play the piano but he looks good pretending That's right. he's, a, he's a drummer i heard yeah um but sorry uh, so um yeah the yeah the setting is perfect in this. Oh, um, yeah. Two two things came to my mind, and I and I think I think that they uh, would be considered um, not on purpose, like subconscious okay. by fu- by future filmmakers uh, or production designers or whatever. Uh, but the two things that this reminded me of, just rewatching it now in, from twenty twenty two goggles. Uh, mm-hmm. well, first off, have you ever been to? Have you ever been to Disney World? No, sir. Okay, no, have you not, been to not Di- Disney World? Not Disneyland, neither. Oh, you've been neither. Okay, so like around where like Pirates of the Caribbean is, and kind of, I, I guess it would be like, I don't know what land it is. There's all these different lands in Disney World, like um, Adventureland, Frontierland, you know, yeah. whatever. This like. I almost feel like one of those lands in Disney, like kind of where like pirates is and where mm-hmm. a couple of other things are jungle cruise and stuff. Like I feel like they were so the, the park designers were so heavily influenced by the set design of this movie because yeah, I, like I said, it's, it's hindsight. And I know that this came out first, but like when I was like watching kind of the background and stuff, I was like, this reminds me of Disney world. Like I know that sounds yeah. terrible, but I don't but, mean that as a, as a detriment. I just mean it as like right. a, a subconscious influence, but the other thing too, like a subconscious influence, um, I get like major, um, Mose Eisley bar feel 
Oh, from, yeah. from this, from Star Wars, you know, mm-hmm. like where it's it's kind of too. sketchy characters everywhere. Could be a murder on the street before you even walk in the door. Gambling. Oh, yeah. I got I have yeah. to think a guy like Lucas would take a scene like this or a setting like this. And like, what would a space Rick's Cafe American be? And you you tinker around and you get Moss Eisley. Sure. Yeah. So I, I those are the kind of the two things that popped yeah, in I'm my head. There. The most, and I, uh, I don't know why, but like, yeah, I just kind of felt like I was, I was walking through, uh, like Disney World at one point. But um, mm-hmm. this uh, is all yeah, Warner Backlot too, you know, like, like mm-hmm. they, and, and credit to old school production designers where you could take identical buildings in a dozen movies and with plants, with people, costumes, lighting, you can make anything look different. It's amazing. Yeah, well, a lot of people, when I, when I hear people complain about set design and people are like oh well you know i watched this movie it's clearly a set it's like some of the greatest movies of all time are on sets like it's you don't have to have stunning realism all the time like i get it if if there's a car driving scene and it looks like backward projection and it looks Mm -hmm. terrible i mean i get it with what you're expecting of a 2022 production but like it's okay to build things on sets i mean this is all fictional this is all heightened reality you know so yeah i've never understood that criticism but because like you said this is have you ever like do you ever feel at any point i mean it's like that suspension of disbelief it's like when you see a play you know you're watching a stage you know you're not looking Mm -hmm. at a fully fabricated thing but at the same time you're still trying to take it out well that's what i'm saying like um if i am yeah 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 if, if there's a Obviously, I mean, I know the lore, so I know I know it's fake when I'm looking at it, but I don't care. Right. It's like exactly every time it's at the airport, it's like it's 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 small people in midgets, and I'm not sure we're supposed to say midgets, so I'm not gonna say midgets, but I said three times. Um, <laughs> but no, like I know the airport stuff is very fake. Um, I know that when a guy gets shot in the street, you're not gonna see a blood squib and all that stuff like that. But <laughs> no, I'm I'm here for I'm here for what it means, not what it looks like most of the time. So yeah, no, I fully believe that I am in La Casablanca. Like I don't, yeah. I never feel like I'm in California at a studio. Like, do I know I, that I, in the yeah. back of my head that it's California? Sure. Yes. But that doesn't, but that I doesn't, think another layer for me, I think yeah. another layer for me is the black and white. Like mm-hmm. if this was in color, you might see a little more smears and a few more edges, but the fact that it's yeah. black and white, obviously we're playing with noir shadows here a little bit even this little spot right here with the silhouette and the, and the safe, like, you know, it just, th- that's enough to make me go. We're not just in an ordinary place or we're having some fun with the way things look in ours. I also Black think this help. is a, I also think this is a uh, really effective scene uh, that'll come pay off later mm-hmm. that, you know, because the guy is apologizing for losing the money when you probably know that's probably one of the deals that yeah uh, rick is Agreed. pulling off and it's cool because it, it kind of comes up because you, you think he'd be pissed he just lost all that money but then you find out much later that it was you know he, that's how, sometimes how he gets people the money they need and things like that is by like oh uh bet on 22 <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. that's why he's not pissed that he just lost 20 grand you know so there this relationship here is to me now, don't get me wrong. We're, it's a romantic movie. It's the number one passions on the AFI list and all that. But this relationship here of these peers that are kind of friends, 
not a buddy cop movie by any kind of means of that kind of ball busting, but to watch these two skirt around the point yet still kind of be on the same page is fascinating. Every time I watch oh, this yeah. movie, I get more and more out of Reigns. Claude Reigns, I, I, he's my favorite character in the, in the movie um, mm-hmm. from, he, from my most really. recent viewing. Yeah. yeah. I, I do have to say, though, I don't remember if they said it while we were talking or not, but I think yeah. they, mentioned, they mentioned that uh, Bogart is, well, the character, Rick, is 37 years old. <laughs> I'm yeah. just like, that is some hard ass living, man. Like, look uh-huh. at this guy. Yeah. There's no way this guy's 37. Like, <laughs> no. yeah, look at, look at those eyes. Look at the bags. Yeah. That's yeah. a hard, yeah. It, ooh. I mean, even Claude's not 37. Claude's probably 47. So, yeah. I'm interested. Well, yeah, because he was in The Invisible Man like in 1933. So he's got to be, mm-hmm. you know, nine yeah. years. I mean, it's not that long ago. He, but, uh, Claude was Oscar nominated for this, and in my opinion, robbed. Because if there's an Oscar uh, winner in this movie, for me, it's it's Reigns more than I mean Bogart's great, and of course we've all heard the stories of him doing this against type first romantic, you know, big first romantic leading role, and of course Bergman, who's gone on to win Oscars, you know, as a as a foreign import kind of Alicia Vikander kind of level person for us, like ooh wow, fresh face from overseas and look how good she is, but the guy who is just steady as can be is Reigns. Oh, I love him. I love the character. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of implications about what's going on with him. Uh, a lot a lot of stuff that I understand that, like, the Hollywood code had to tamp down a little bit. Because there's a lot of implications that... You hear about that, yeah. Yeah. yeah this movie know, had to be greatly softened for what you can and can't do with affairs and love triangles. And even some of the... I mean, as much as this is a allied Western movie you still aren't going to like completely vilify to the nth degree Germans either. So yeah. Yeah. They played it safe. Um, the fun story here is you hear a lot about how this movie was just rewritten as you go too. like, mm-hmm. obviously it's based on a play. They kind of, they changed the ending uh, and, and they couldn't come down to what the ending was even when they were getting to the ending to shoot. So, um, which is amazing to me because this is on, the Writers Guild of America's list as the number one screenplay of all time, yet it's likely yeah. an assembly of cocktail napkins and note cards at that point. Well, I also heard it was uh, filmed in sequence because of that. Uh, that's yeah. what I read. Agreed. Which is pretty interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm verifying my casting here on somebody. Let me just see something. Peter Laurie, or are you talking about Sidney uh, no. Strasser? Yeah, Conrad Veidt. Uh, Conrad Veidt, who, Man Who Laughs. Yeah. yeah, The Man Who Laughs, which was the probably the major inspiration for the joker in I the agree. batman comics so uh but yeah he's good uh, peter laurie i so another thing i did uh i didn't need to do this but i did it for no reason whatsoever uh is i decided to watch after casablanca i decided to watch the warner brothers cartoon short carrot blanca <laughs> yeah um and it's terrible but um it is terrible. The, the one uh, saving grace of it is that Tweety Bird uh, plays Peter Lorre, and it's uh-huh. like it That's made me it, it made me question like who were they making this cartoon for? Because <laughs> I mean, it was ninety five. Mm. I was thirteen. I wouldn't have any idea who. Peter I like where I stick my neck out for nobody. We're just the the immediate character establishment we've gotten in the last fifteen minutes of Rick, where. You know, when Rain says, oh, it's the first time I've ever seen you impressed or I stick out my neck out for nobody or the loyalty. He double, you know, he deals down with Sam to get Green Street's, you know, uh, Ferrari out of here. And 
you know, how he treats Strasser right here. Like every little note they put in these first 15 minutes before the girl gets here is just hard. You know, like you said, hard living man, you know, super neutral, you know, uh, in it for himself where he can, but not, not overtly cruel in terms of his selfishness, just, just the, the heightened ambivalence. Well, it's also a little bit of a show because him sticking his neck out for no one is probably not true either in terms of, Oh yeah. Yeah. We know he's, he's, it's a front complete front. Yeah. yeah, Cause he's, but the fact that we're putting this front out there is some stuff. And it's this Bogart too. Like we would, we completely believe that. Oh yeah. That's a guy who would, don't don't fuck with him, you know all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And he, because uh, you learn about the character that he fought on the losing side of a lot of battles, you know, and yeah. that's kind of his shtick is to go with the underdog. Well, like these little, you know? like these little lines here, like you know, a diplomatist, you know, I'm a drunkard, you know, like don't go to New York, and you know, complete. Here we go, completely neutral about everything. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, here's yeah, the other dossier. Oh yeah, thirty-seven. Here it is. He's thirty-seven years old. Gosh. Our minds. <laughs> yeah, look at it. Like, like it, there's the sarcasm there, which is great too. There's a lot of great witty dialogue in this movie. Like this, I found myself I mean, this, chuckling a lot. Sure. This played well over the crowd. I saw it on the, the the one time I've been able to see it on the big screen was 10 years ago for its 70th when Fathom Events did the, you know, the you bring back a big classic kind of thing for an anniversary and got to see it, um, got to see it and review it then. And it was, it played great with a full crowd because mm. there is enough to laugh at, not just Reigns, but just how slick Rick is, how just the heights, you can hear hush silences when you get to some spots and places. So. Well, I think it's another one of those things, too, where the movie, despite some of the trappings of the time in terms of kind of the a little bit over dramatic music and the uh, interesting lighting, especially on, uh, uh, you know, the main actress, you know, where it's, you know, the mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they give her that glow, you know, to emphasize yeah. her beauty, things like that. Oh. Besides those trappings, it does have a lot of just like Citizen Kane does. It has a lot of modern like modern mm-hmm. filmmaking to it too. And I think it's very easy for, cause you, you, you can know the difference. I mean, you can go to an yeah. old film sometimes and see it and, and kind of know like, okay, this is antiquated. This is not how they film movies anymore, but this, this has pretty dynamic camera movement. It has excellent staging. Mm-hmm. It's not stiff. It's no, um, like even the shot where they're walking into their table, we're shooting it through the, the bottles of the bar. Like it's not, th- yeah. there's enough moves to it where it's not, complete stock yeah and and I, think, I tell you that's that's the director that's curtis you know um yeah. he's adventures robin hood he's made a thousand a thousand different things of a thousand different genres and, and no two films ever look the same from that guy yeah and i think that i think that makes a modern audience that's watching it like more engaged because agreed i've, I've been to some films where and not even films this old but like like uh, another example, like a super low, but because this was a big Hollywood production, but like I've been mm-hmm. to like, uh, I've been to like uh, screenings of like uh, 1968's Night of the Living Dead, you yeah. know, super low budget, you know, George A. Romero, not like the most dynamic director. So a lot of like the reaction is, oh my God, isn't that adorable how they filmed that? You know, whereas mm-hmm. it's more like. Right. 
you're kind of criticizing it in a way, but not, not, Mm -hmm. not horribly rude about it, but you're also like, yeah, just look at this. Isn't it quaint? You know, this never has that. I think that's why a modern audience can be engaged. Like you said, they were when you saw on the big screen, because Mm -hmm. this feel, this feels like a, not only a very competent film, but I wouldn't say ahead of its time, but it has a little bit. We're a little early for noir to get to some of these shadows and shadings. That in yeah, like saying, when people kind of call this movie the um the the best of the Hollywood system, I don't mm. think there's a damn thing wrong with that. Some people call that yeah. a knock, and some people call that a compliment. For me, it's like go ahead and take the Hollywood system and then just add a little extra. Where like like I'm saying, you have some of Europe's best little small actors filling little parts here. You have you know, big time players when it comes to Reigns and Bogart and et cetera. And all of them are coming in here at the top of their game, making a movie that has that kind of in a way spared no expense to not be that Hollywood backlot, to add a little extra here, add a little extra there where like in comparison to me, this would be something like, um, obviously not this level of ensemble and huge stars, but like Ocean's Eleven. This is like Steven Soderbergh saying, I'm going to make a Hollywood movie as perfect and as pristine and as glossy as I can because there's room to do that and then still wow you with fun and suspense and whatever I need to do to match that. Cause yeah, oh, you don't yeah, need experimental sure. bullshit to make this movie. And I've never, I've never been a, a critic of a studio system. To be honest, I, I yeah. find, I mean, I get it. We're I, 90s I get, fans, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, this, this I don't system work. Yeah. Well, I mean, even, even my current taste, like with Marvel Studios, which is essentially a studio system, I don't like. I don't necessarily begrudge that because there's a time and place for everything. It's just like anything with music. I mean, sometimes you don't. You're not always going to listen to as much as I love Metallica. I'm not going to listen to Metallica 24 seven. Like sometimes you're yeah. going to want to have like an indie artist over here or someone who yeah. doesn't have the same production value. Like studio systems have their place independent filmmakers have their place it it doesn't and And there's quality from within them yeah exactly and truly great filmmakers you mentioned Soderbergh is a great example like he can go shoot something on a lark on his iphone and release that and then he can be like okay let's make a big budget studio film like oceans 11 like it doesn't you know it's you know filmmaking is filmmaking it's not like I, i don't think it's lessened by you know who's producing it and who puts it out now now can there be certain things that you know we mentioned it already this this movie on just like any other big budget thing studio thing is going to probably have a little bit more quote-unquote quality control than other stuff because we mentioned that there's a lot of stuff that had to be taken out of the script to appeal to a general more general audience you know because you didn't want to insult the sensitivities of so many people but that's also Mm -hmm. a byproduct of the fact that by being a studio and having more reach you're going to reach more people so therefore there's more people to offend so i mean yeah there's always going to be a push and give you could uh you know you know uh, a give and take you know i mean like i said like when uh, new hollywood was starting in the late 60s and 70s yeah the guys that made easy rider dennis hopper probably wasn't too concerned about you know offending people because Mm -hmm. his film probably wasn't going to get as much pull as the big studio film. So, I mean, it's green. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just, I I never have seen it as a criticism. It doesn't make sense to me because Mm -hmm. um, I'm with you. People are very reactionary to the current times and they, they even forget like, you know, 
they'll talk about, well, they didn't make movies like they did in the in the eighties. It's like, well, the eighties had huge studio pictures too. It's not any different yeah. today. But you know, whatever. That's my own thing to Yeah. Bitch We're getting to the best part here where this is my where 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 this movie appeals to me and and I'll and I'll get quiet for this coming apart here. But uh sure, sure. um what the part that I love about this is it's a breakup movie. You know, like mm. you got jilted man sees the old girl again and it fucks him up. And I love the way this movie does that with the love triangle, but not one of those obvious love triangles and with one of those not obvious endings. And like, it's, it's really slick here where, how they do this. And as a first time watcher, you don't know what's coming. You're, you're mm. obviously you've seen these two share some glances here uh, across. We're like, Hey, I know her and oh crap, that's her. And then I know him and oh crap, that's him. And I'm here with my husband. And, um, and then obviously she knows wherever Sam is, Rick is. So now she's starting to poke and probe. And then all of a sudden that song is going to come on. And as a breakup movie, what I like about it is obviously we're going to get to this place with this song where everything, everyone's got that. What was our song, you know, with ex-girlfriends, ex-boyfriends, whatever. And, uh, you hear it and it takes you to another place. And I like well, that when this song comes on, it takes her to another place because she'll have tears in her eyes when by the time Rick shows up asking for that song to get get out of here where she's in a moment he's having a different moment and it smashes together well i'll tell you this i mean one thing that because like i said the the gap between me seeing this the first and only mm -hmm. time and then re-watching it was yeah i was 13 or 14 and now i'm 40 now yeah. something that did not happen to Ooh. me when i was 13 or 14 is uh i went to school in europe for a while and I had a love affair in Europe. Coming. Yeah. Like she, she's in another place right now. Yeah. And it's a hell, and we don't know it yet, but it's a hell of a place. And I love it. Yeah. Cause then he hears it and goes <laughs> like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Like I thought John told you to never play that song again. And it's coming, but I love the way the camera stays right on her. She doesn't overdo it. It's not streaming tears. And then here he comes. And then the, obviously this Max Steiner score comes in with the stinger of like, damn, dagger to the heart coming up. <laughs> Bang. Look at her. Look at him. Mm. <laughs> and <laughs> I love seeing him. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, no. So I was saying like, I had the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I had, I went to school in Europe for a while and. I had a love affair in Europe and you know, those things you go home, you know, you separate. Uh, I wasn't in Paris, but um, yeah, it was in England, but same thing. Like, yeah, sometimes I always wonder like what happened to that person? You sure. know, like you, you hear a song, sometimes it'll hit you like, you know, somewhere out of nowhere, you know, you'll hear it in a store mm -hmm. or something or like, you know, just yeah. you'll hear it randomly and, and it doesn't matter how long it's been. I mean, that, my, I was in mm -hmm. college in Europe, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So, I mean, you know, but it still just hits you like it was yesterday, you know, and you have that, yeah. you have that, that look in your eyes like she does, you know, look at him play this too. Like one sit down. Cause you know, as you hear rains kind of beat for beat playing mean Gene Oakland here, like he never sits down and here he is sitting down, but he's got that arm over the chair oh, yeah. trying to play it cool. She's also like, Oh, uh, that's small talk. Yeah. 
And they do a good yeah. job of the husband. I, I don't think the, the husband is a, a particularly Laszlo. I don't think he's a particularly good performer, like uh, compared to the other people. I he's think he's, he's acting wise. He's, I think he's the weakest link in the movie, but okay. I, what I do like is that they don't like vilify him either. Like, no, she's I mean, I think got, it's important. Too. Yeah. She's got two good choices, you know, mm-hmm. like Not very much. So. Th- th- this isn't well, like a, a bad guy. No, but I'll be, I mean, other than the fact that we like Humphrey Bogart because he's the star, he's clearly right. a bad choice. That's the crazy oh, thing. Sure. Is. Yeah. I mean, we want it because it's Humphrey and we want it because the scene after this, when we see how much he's been wrecked, because that's the cool part next is that's a place we've never seen Humphrey go is like, you know, when the bar closes and he's drinking his sorrows away in a minute here, that's mm-hmm. a different level we've ever seen that actor go. And then all of a sudden, whoa, this is worth it because he was that good. We don't know it yet. I, what, being a first-time viewer, like, what is what is going on? What is their history? What could mm-hmm. this possibly be? And like, that'd be one of those movies. And then to watch it again, and then even like the way they have reins of the smoke right here, like, you still don't know who's good, who's bad. Could be Rick. Could be Captain Renault. There's a lot to it. Oh yeah. I've been meaning to time how long this flashback is because this is a tight movie, but like a bucket. 107, where obviously in the studio system, that's nice and tight under two hours, where I'm surprised that a movie with this kind of momentum to keep tying the webs and tying the strings with intrigue is willing to take a smiley, you know, flashback scene of romance. And I've been meaning to like, I gotta put my little timer on. I'm always curious. Like how long have they invest a nice chunk into this what's coming? And it works. Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't even feel like you never feel. Because um, I generally hate flashbacks in movies <laughs> in Same, general. Sometimes I do, too. Yeah. And uh, my least favorite device, which thankfully this movie doesn't use, but I hate when you like watch a movie and then it'll say like six hours earlier and then you have to like you oh, have to gosh. catch up to that point. Right. This, Tarantino. Yeah. This never uh, this never feels like i'm being taken out of the the main crux of the story it just flows really well yeah because i i bet there's some argument that says don't even show this just let this be hinted let it come out in conversation stay in the present day but um but they take they make this choice to do the flashback and it plays i'm here hit that table man (laughs) break a movie i'm telling you Mm-hmm. You know, I was reading some contemporary criticism uh, okay. of the film, and people were saying that, you know, it's hokey. Um, oh. I don't know. I, I never, I never, I know that it's a, it's a often repeated line and it's, it's mm-hmm. of its time, but I've never felt yeah. like it's aged poorly or anything. Like, no. I, I, I buy it for the atmosphere it's in. I mean, yeah. Am I going I to say that? I'm not going to say that, like, you know, if I'm in a bar somewhere, you know, in 2022, right. I'm not going to be like, and of all, the, of all the bars in the world, she had to walk yeah. into mine. But, you know, but, like. But of, but of its time, and then you got to play the wartime setting, play the expat away overseas, where yeah. he's feeling right now, you might have a poetic lament for a poetic lament moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's all part of the theater. Yeah. It's all part of the drama of everything. Yeah. All right, so is it going to start right. T- now? Time around here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. I'm just watching. I'm watching on the side. I mean, I'm gonna let it go, but 
No, I'm interested to know as well. Check. Have have you ever been to Paris? No, sir. You? Yeah, many times. Yeah, I've been. uh, Damn, jealous. Been a a lot. I went, uh, well, on that that college tour, I did. I also Mm -hmm. went to Normandy as well, which was. uh, That'd be compelling. It's about three or four hours uh, away from Paris. Yeah. But it's pretty, you know, seeing all the graves and everything is pretty Mm -hmm. impressive. And of course, you know, I took my daughter to Paris and we went to the top of the Eiffel Tower and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, all that. Yeah. They do good to like, I'm always impressed. And someone brought it up to me. I think it was Ian in our little show here. How bright they make Bogart look like. The noir shadows go away in this flashback scene. He's smiling, wonderful, way more humor than he has in the present day. They change her up with curling her hair a little bit. Like it plays like a flashback and not, not, and not one that's like gaudy. Well, he's, he's jovial and happy as opposed to cynical right. and snarky, you know? <laughs> but it, the fact that we get that opposite works. Do we know? I never knew they had disco balls in the forties. Do they? Do we? Do they tell us when uh, this is in terms of I have, the year? Yeah. If we're if we're gonna if we're doing the present day thing, let's see. Then well, well, when I'm sure we can look this up history wise. Like, when did the Germans arrive in Paris? Was that 38? 30s, 38, 39? So, okay, so this is. Yeah, oh, that's right. They, they do now. give you. They do give you the. That's right. Okay, I, I forgot that like, they tell you. What, the, yeah, the end of okay. this is when the when the Germans make it to Paris. So whenever that was, right. we got to think what the months, maybe at best the year before that here, or into yeah. that. But even the lines here, like like you said, all his cynicism is gone, and it's just man, I got this great girl. So but then we have these Lazlo clues here too, you know. So I got a question for you. Um, mm-hmm. Is is Bogart a great actor of his time or a great actor overall? Like just in. I'm gonna say I'm gonna be that guy that says overall because like I it's like um I know I use this test in other places but like the Daniel Day Lewis test like I I joke to you that like Daniel Day Lewis couldn't be Tom Hanks and big. Where at, and then maybe mm-hmm. like Humphrey Bogart couldn't be Tom Hanks and Big either, not playing thirty seven right now. But uh, <laughs> um, but no, like I I I try to do the whole thing, like put an actor in another era and could they succeed? And Bogart would be like J.K. Simmons now, you know, it'd be a guy okay. who's, you know, I'm not saying he's gonna be, you know, doing farmers insurance commercials, but like he's a steady, you know, aged, you know, you get, you know what you get, tough actor. But at the same time, now that he's showing some romantic shades, he could be that guy who can do a little bit of both. And, you know, I, I assume today he'd be like Liam Neeson, where he'd be doing action stuff because he always gangster roots and all that. But mm. you, he, I mean, if he lived through the 70s, he would be, you know, an older, tougher actor doing, you know, the yeah, the new way or the, the yeah, the, you know, the Scorsese stuff. Like, I, I don't think he would shy away from hard content. Like, I think an yeah, R rating like- would be a blast to watch with him, you know? Kind of like a William Holden in The Wild Bunch yeah. or something, where it's like... Yeah, he could do know. that part. I yeah. don't want to say he's Eastwood. I think he's 800 times more charming than Eastwood. Mm. But I bet he's... Uh, and also, he's cool. You know, like, 
there's some Clooney in that guy. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I normally put Clooney next to Cary Grant. Like, he's the last Cary mm-hmm. Grant we'll ever have. But, like, mm-hmm. this guy, like, like Harris, this is Harrison Ford. You know, yeah. action, toughness, yeah. sweetness. Like, I, I'm going to be cool, but I'm not going to be a, a dork. I'm not going to be a, a, I'm going to be romantic, but I'm not going to be a lush. You know, he's, he's right down that manly, knows what he wants to be middle and still respectful, courteous, all those pieces. So. Yeah. I, that leads me to the question of, could this movie be made today? And I'm like, well, how, I mean, one, like remake it. And I mean, if you re- remake it in a, as a period piece and, right. you know, go back to forties and do it again, I guess, but I, I would hope you never do. You don't need to. Are but you if saying you were to like, like, take, like a modern, a modern day interpretation? Of yeah. Of it? And I don't know what that would be like. Cause again, like I think the number one, like the highest piece of magic to me about this is being made in wartime without a certain ending. Yeah. That's a, I don't know how you could do that today. Well, like, I, I'm I trying think... to think of like a Vietnam movie. I'm trying to think of like a Vietnam movie where it was made during Vietnam where we didn't know how it was going to turn out and it had that shimmer of hope at the core of it. Well, I think the spirit of the setting you could do because war is very different now where you, yeah. no like, one wears the uniform. Version of this? Yeah, like I think I think you could pull off a no man's land kind of area where a lot of different people who have very twisted allegiances are stuck together in a place. You could do that. Yeah, yeah, you could I do think. setting for sure. Yeah, but totally agree. I, but I don't know. Like you said, I don't think you could get something like this in terms of the exact mm. history, the the exact opponents. The world right. politics. I, I just don't. I don't see that. I, I, I can see the spirit of the people, with, you know, yeah, lots of stuff. I mean, because you could. I mean, I'm sure there's been uh, the Claude Rains character has existed. In oh yeah, been a uh, the thousands side, the of side movies since Captain. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. some of the some of the characters from this have have gone on to other things, but. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is probably one that I think it's almost like an unwritten rule. I was reading about it. Like, uh, it's almost like an unwritten rule in Hollywood. Like, you will not touch this and will not remake it. And Man, I not. hope not. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, because it's I, like even I, Citizen Kane, like we, we, we have a Steve Jobs movie. We have Social Network. Like, you can make a Titan biopic that isn't Citizen Kane. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This one, I think. I, but I was just doing some of the research. Um, yeah. Like people have brought it up and most people were like, uh, are you nuts? No, <laughs> we're not going to do that. Um, so I, I know that there were some sequels in the works that obviously never went through uh, a lot of parodies, but I, I think mm. anytime it was ever brought up to a studio or whatever, you know, um, it's been shot down pretty much instantly. Like, no, we will not remake this. So I just don't know who, I mean, okay, let's, let's pretend, let's pretend someone's remaking this. Who, who could make it? And who, what director that in this day and age, 2022 could make a Casablanca in terms of making it feel the same in terms of spirit. Well, but first also thing I'll say is you're same. breaking up. If someone had to do you know, this or, today, or look like capture that period, um, who do you think could do that? Man, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think if there's like 
a foreign director who would get this vibe more than a happy-go-lucky, you know, post-World War II. Like, America's, America's succeeded. Like, we're, we're never going to be in a pickle like World War II again. Not anytime soon, at least. So, like, I have to think the per- a person who would do something like this would be a foreign director. You know, okay. like, um, but, like, I'm trying to then key in who could that, like, well, you know what? I can see we saw Alfonso Cuaron make a, make Roma. Obviously, it's more about autobiographical, semi-autobiographical about his childhood, but a city in strife, a situation in strife, the different layers of people, like, he seems like a worldly enough guy to do that and not be over grandiose compared to like in who just got done doing his own little eight and a half with Bardo. And yeah, I don't know. This would be a tough one as an American guy. I, I like, I like my Soderbergh pick. Like he yeah, seems Soderberg classy. Could, and it, like he yeah. can make, I just know the guy can make anything smart with restraint, not over showy, but emphasize character. I don't Whereas, know. If like, he can, oh, here's he our can, time. We'll be back here. That was nine minutes. Nine minutes? Wow. All right. Nine minutes. I, I don't yeah, a, I don't know if not... I don't know if Soderbergh could pull off the because when I think of Soderbergh, I think of characters more in relation to how cool they are or sexy or repellent. Right. I don't I don't necessarily uh feel well, for them. The like I don't is... have an emotional connection, you know? Right. Well, that's the other thing is, I think if you were to make this story today, because we were talking earlier about how censorship-wise, you have to tame a lot of this, what you see down, like, obviously, you would hope that these, well, I don't know, hope is a strong word, but you would think these two had a sexual affair in Paris, or enough to be oh, they on did. each other like this, you know, but you can't show that in a movie. Whereas today, you would show all that. This would be more torrid. There's a good chance these two would arrive, like... There, it suggested even later, did he sleep with her? Like that sort of thing. Like the well, night before this all ending. Like I think yeah. it would go, a movie would go harder um, today if you were to remake it. You couldn't get away with the quaintness of what it is. Well, and also the Claude Rains character. Um, it's it's heavily oh, implied. Fly. Well, it's heavily implied that he trades sex for you know exactly. favors. You know, so yeah. they'd probably show that, and that would ruin it. And it's it's kind of like the Jaws effect, like. Yeah. If you're told you can't do something, you do as much as you possibly can to do it without doing it. You like, you know, like sh- like and I think there- it's also like you, um what we talk about sometimes on the show with horror like you know, um tell but don't show where your human right. hamster wheel in your brain normally can fill in those blanks just fine and a lot of times more yep. severe than what the movie would have done explicitly anyway. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Um and I think so, I, I know we yeah. talk we talk about that a lot with like violence but i think a lot of that can be done with romance too like we like we just got a nine minute flashback of, of a beautiful scene in paris like we don't need to see you know slapping the slapping meat in the sheets and all that to know that passion was there love was there it doesn't need to be shown we we get the hint and i think a good filmmaker can paint those hints i did a film that just came to my mind because I was thinking about it because it actually does have like one or two sex scenes in it, which I felt yeah. were, I mean, I'm not a prude or anything, but it did kind sure. of, I don't want to say take me out of it, but in terms of what the look they were going for, but did you ever see cold war? Um, uh, the, from like two, three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Cold. It did war. not. It, it was like shot in black and white. It was a cinematography nomination. Yeah. yeah. And it was well a best director as well. Uh, believe it or mm-hmm, not. That's right. Um, but uh, it 
when I just I just came into my head. That one has about as close as I think you can get to a, uh, and that's a that's a quote unquote foreign director in terms of us, right? Us right. Americans. Um, that was pretty close because that involves okay. a lot of this kind of stuff. You know, you have people that are trying to escape a place or get to a place or yeah. find refuge in a place that suddenly becomes unsafe and. It's it, it's more of a saga over many years, but um, that the one. Other comp I, the other comp I hear is Transit. Who's the actor in Transit movie? Um, yeah, there's a movie called, I think it's called Transit. And I'm getting it wrong. This is the wrong year, the wrong movie. But uh, also, foreign film, a guy trying to get out. I want to say it's the Middle East. But um, I'll, I'll tell you, 2018. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, Franz Rogowski and Paula Beer. And this was like mm-hmm. a drama historical thing where, yeah, same thing. Kind of a man trying to get away. It's Casablanca without the humor is what a lot of people like to do. Yeah, a refugee who impersonates a dead writer in an attempt to flee a fascist country. And he's kind of stuck in those in-between government places. And none of it is as stylish and as fun as an American club, nightclub in Morocco. So, but those mm-hmm. themes of getting out what you would do to get out kind of thing. I well, saw it at a film festival. Was bored to death. I, not, sorry, <laughs> cinephiles, not a fan of transit. Uh, well, I highly recommend Cold War. You will not be bored. It's I would, on Amazon. I, I would not. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the, synop- the synopsis is a man and woman meet in the ruins of post-war Poland. There you go. With vastly different backgrounds and temperaments, they are fatally mismatched yet drawn to each other. Um, uh, Powell Palakowski is the name. Yeah. He also did yeah. uh, another Oscar nominated film called Ida, um, which uh-huh. is another like Polish kind of thing. He did one with um, Ethan Hawke that I have not seen called The Woman in the Fifth. I have not seen that. that I have not either. either. Um, but yeah, he's um, uh, I you know, like you said, a foreign director has that understanding of uh, those kind of situations and uh, and I think it would less, take that. like. Yeah, because like America, just like I said, between post World War II, we just haven't been in that kind of position to be in such dire states. Whereas other places of the world certainly have. I mean, the amount of international conflicts that are out there in the last sixty years. I mean, look at the former Yugoslavia. You hear stories coming out of that. Even right, we're going to hear stories in the next year about Ukraine, and you know, you have Hotel Rwanda in with the Ugandan story, and like you can, there's enough history elsewhere that's equally as compelling if not more compelling than what we this little yarn we got here for hollywood see mm-hmm. oh so a little sidebar here i wanted to bring this up to you and, and okay uh, listeners be patient with me so i'm actually going to read a paragraph here but i was doing some research now it's 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 wikipedia but i don't know why anyone would lie about a movie but this is this is allegedly i want to get your thoughts on this i read this and i okay. laughed and i thought i thought of you so i'm going to read right. this from from the history section of Casablanca from Wikipedia. Uh, Warner Brothers released a heavily edited version of Casablanca in West Germany in 1952. All scenes with with Nazis were removed, along with most references to World War II. Important plot points were were altered when the dialogue was dubbed into German. Victor Laszlo was no longer a resistance fighter who escaped from a Nazi concentration camp. Instead, he became a Norwegian atomic physicist who was being pursued by Interpol after he broke out of jail. 
the West German version was 25 minutes shorter than the original cut. Oh, um, yeah. So, I mean, can you imagine this movie pretending that it's not about World War II? <laughs> like, how the I hell don't. would you do that? <laughs> I don't know how you would. Um, I would hope, like, like I said, yeah, Germany's the, Germany's the villain, but it's not, yeah, like, like there's not the most duplicitly villainous horror. Like, Reigns does worse things in this movie than Strasser does. Like, we just saw him mm-hmm. adjust that tie to bed some woman who needs to get out of town. And, yeah, uh, yeah. this reminds me recently, um, um ian simmons and the boys we all saw uh rrr that netflix movie about the uh the indian revolutionaries you know trying to get away from the british rule and uh somewhat we had a there was a live q a with the director ss ramajuli and um and someone asked uh or the comment the moderator asked that uh, katie rife asked um how did this movie play in britain and which made a massive laugh in the theater because you know it there's the britons are the overt bad guys and like there's blood smeared on british crown symbols like there's symbolism and then there's the characterization and it's all all bad british um mm-hmm. and he's actually like this is actually the number one selling like it's the highest grossing indian movie that's ever been to britain so the director <laughs> kind of got got to have that cake and eat it too kind of thing where it was well received in britain but, but again i think that's been you know it's been 70 years where that right. that stuff is kind of dead and gone there too so the, the, yeah, the sensibilities I, of that are, are gone away you would hope so well yeah it made me think of like what like when uh the patriot with mel gibson's playing in england like what are they what are they thinking when you've got right. a snarling evil oh yeah you know, jason isaac uh, jason isaac yeah <laughs> great villain like there's no there's no jason isaacs in this movie it would be it would play so much easier if you had a Jason Isaacs like you would be it would be mm-hmm. it would be so much more black and white but the fact that you don't know where where the curveballs are coming and where they can come from because even all the way up until the end there's a good chance Bogart can betray everybody here too so yeah you yeah. You, you get the vibe that he wouldn't but would right. he to get with his girl so yeah that's true yeah um so you've seen um uh you said you saw Maltese Falcon. Um mm-hmm. what's some uh what's some other Bogarts that you've uh seen and enjoyed? Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan. Like my number two for Bogart, right? Obviously this is number one. My number two is uh Dark Passage. I love Dark Passage, Dark Passage. with uh him and Uh he plays a man who um uh he's a prison escapee who's goes through plastic surgery to change his face so he he begins the movie looking like one person, and then when the bandages come off, he looks like Humphrey Bogart. Uh, and Bacall's the woman who takes him in and kind of tends after him while he heals up. And the movie, kind of cleverly for its time, is shot POV from like the person with the mask's eyes, which is different for a 40s movie. Uh, and obviously, it's their you know romance, you know the legendary Bacall and Bogart romance. But I like how that's played a little smaller, like just a smaller film than the Maltese Falcon. Maltese Falcon's great. But the other Bogart and Bacall ones, like the big sleep is always pointed at huge and Key Largo is big. And But I like that smaller one. It just plays tighter, smaller, isolated, kind of little intrigue kind of thing. Um, I mean, of course, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, you know, uh, it's a, gr- a good volcanic performance out of him. Maltese Falcon's great. There's, a, I mean, I, I haven't seen a bad one, you know. Have you? He's one of those guys. You- it's all It's all bangers. Have you seen uh, In a Lonely Place? 
I have not. I need to. It's been on those noir lists and made a Criterion spine here. So oh, I got to yeah, get there. That, that's my favorite Bogart. I mean, I, I can't say that I'm an expert that's seen a lot of yeah free Bogart films, but, uh, you know. Um, I, and, and there's another Michael Curtiz film that he was in at, at a more of a bad guy, Angels no. with Dirty Faces. Um, there you go. You yeah. Know, with, those, uh, yeah. With what's his face? Um, Cagney's in there, right? Cagney, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, in a in a lonely place uh, is so great, and um, it has one of the best lines that you can apply to noir. You can apply to lost romance. You know, the line is, uh, "I was born when she kissed me. I died when she left me. I lived a few weeks while she loved me." Just a great. Just a great freaking line, mm-hmm. or three lines, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I highly recommend. Yeah, I'm I'm always amazed by like I mean my my number two with Bergman would be Notorious, the Hitchcock one with Cary Grant mm-hmm. after this, where the key and all that stuff like that. It's just mm-hmm. she she's good in everything too. So I keep thinking of like I know we're circling back to the remake idea, but like other than a guy like Harrison Ford, I don't know who could play. Like, like I'm trying to think of an actor who we have not seen like play a romantic part yet. Like I, I would love like because to me, uh, even though he's not old enough yet, but like Ryan Gosling is a tight-lipped, you know, stalwart guy who could play the jilted lover. But we've seen him play a wonderful romantic lead in more places than one. Where it wouldn't be a, uh, it wouldn't be a surprise to see him bend the way Bogart bent for this. Where I don't know if we have any tough guys right now who've never done romance. Hmm. Interesting. Other than like I mean, Dwayne Johnson, you know? <laughs> so funny. Was that was a, the first thing that came to my yeah. head was the rock. Vin Diesel. <laughs> yeah. These over, there's like, yeah, like Vin Diesel would be another one where like, I, he could be the gruff dude, but like, and I guess we've maybe really never seen him do much real um, romance, could, but it'd be a hard well, romance. Yeah. I mean, I actually think Vin Diesel's a pretty good actor when given the opportunity, but uh, I agree. But uh, yeah, we never seen him be like kind of that romantic lead. I'm trying to think now. I mean, Gosling would be interesting. I would need to see Gosling's star uh, diminish a little bit first. Yeah. Because I think if you cast him now, oh, too, you know, well, it, Humphrey was in the playlist though. So yeah. But what? But yeah, I mean, I there's guess so, the, he was. There are a few bigger. Like he's he's the stud here. But I. So think, that's the thing. Like I'm trying to think of an A-lister who's never done romance who would surprise us. But Gosling, but, Gosling but, will always have the notebook. But wasn't it and, the last and crazy couple, love? You know, he's got great movies that are romance. But so. wasn't it the kind of last couple movies that Bogart did that put him in the A-list? Because what he was kind of a a villain staple for a long time. Um, yeah, but that'll, that'll still get you on the A list, you know. Yeah, but what was like, what was his biggest, like before this? Biggest um, movie before this, Maltese Falcon. Uh, I think Treasure at Sierra Madre is before this, so I think so. He's got enough. Yeah, Mount Maltese where, Falcon was forty-one. Yeah, but you know, like some of those big, well. big sleep was later. Yeah, uh, everything Sabrina Pical was, was later. much later. African Queen yeah. was much later. See, Sabrina's where he, that's where he plays the older guy, you know, like, 
and that's yeah. fun where we've seen Ford do that. So and Harrison Ford did it in Sabrina. So <laughs> yeah, in the remake, um, in a lonely place was fifty. Dark Passage was after. Yeah, everything but calls after. Mm-hmm. You got to go before. So I mean, when was uh when was Treasure of Sierra Madre? Thirty eight. Um, Forty eight. Forty eight. Well, so that's after two. Then shucks. Yeah, I, I'm thinking this was kind of. I'm thinking, and I'm not an expert, but I kind of feel like this was one of the first ones to make him the A-list. Oh, no, I think, I'm with you, I'm with you. I think, like, yeah, he went from being a steady, reliable, you know, gruff, good guy, half-villain, to, to, yeah, like, a a guy, yeah, top star who can do everything, because look at him go do this. So, oh, no, 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 this was, this was a springboard, but he didn't need to spring for very low. Oh, right, but I'm I'm trying to think of a... Someone who is not in that middle, like someone who's waiting for that breakout. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, because uh, you know, in upper thirties, right? Is that? Yeah, that's tough. I don't have one. Yeah, well, and that's that's part of the the problem with trying to remake. I mean, there's this. plenty of there's plenty of young guys who you can tell the charisma is there. They haven't done the biggest things in the world. Like, I mean, I mean, Miles Teller, for example, had. We still think of him as a very boyish-looking guy, even though he's 35. Interesting. Um, which is funny, because actually... he's the age of this. But, like, Miles, <laughs> but Miles Teller's had, like, he's had enough little quirky co- comedic things. He, you know, he started Project X, and obviously Top yeah. Gun's going to make him a big thing. And Whiplash is obviously, uh, you know, his top, there will always be his number one, at least at this point, for a good long time. But, like, but maybe you have to go lower. Anything lower is too low. I like, I, maybe it's one of those things where all the good talent gets found nowadays where no one no one stays on lists that low well and and once they do like even really promising actors i know i'm probably going to get some guffaws from people on this one but i know i know some people put their you know uh what do you call it put their uh their work in for a long time but like i'm thinking of somebody like chris pratt right once they have like once they have that one big one then People are like, okay, we're gonna put you in every big one for the next ten years. Yeah, and you know, there's unfortunately not... him right now. He's over. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. Is it the it goes from zero to sixty in like three seconds? Yeah, with and, the because and, and it's Vin Diesel too. Like, I think Vin Diesel's a fine actor, and he's done like the Sinila Met one. Find me guilty. Yeah, like, when he's mm-hmm. not playing Dominic Toretto. The guy can do some things, but lately, that's all he's doing is Dominic Toretto. So. so so that's that's the problem is if you do truly find someone that and it happens to everybody. I mean, even actors, mm. you know, you wouldn't think of like um who's the guy that won the Oscar for um Danish girl? What's his name? Um Oh, Eddie Redmayne, yeah. Like Eddie Redmayne like immediately was like in a you know, uh what do you call it? Um uh Wachowski sister movie like right after yeah. that you know and they tried to put the him in jupiter, a bunch of stuff. jupiter ascending or yeah, yeah and then he then he did trial of the chicago seven with uh with uh our writer guy um aaron sorkin so he stays at the prestige oh, and our, level and our He's favorite actor mark rylance oh my god yeah see like that would be the other thing i think would happen here is if you were to do this bogart kind of role today it would be like a comeback part for somebody more than a springboard right. for a guy who's in mill that's like, what I'm saying. I would I would yeah. need to see it Ryan Gosling's star diminish yeah. for a long yeah, time. I agree. You know, um, but it can't be something 
totally out of left field, like with what um, Tarantino did with Robert Forster, who was like a B movie right. actor forever, and then suddenly yeah. was in this huge, you know, right production with Jackie deep, Brown. It can't be a deep reclamation project the way that yeah, right. Tarantino plucks great talent from forgotten places, but it can't be that forgotten. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's tricky, man. It's tricky. I mean, that that always brings why it up. Can't be done. Yeah. Well, and, and that's that's why people say things, you know, like Tom Cruise is the last movie star and blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think so. They're I don't know. Different. I mean, evolve. Movie stars are I, a little different now. Yeah. Um, of his era, we're we're down. I mean, of of like made for the movies, of the movies, for the movies. Yeah, it's Cruise, it's Clooney, and then it's everybody who's old. It, it's it's Hanks, Denzel. You know, it, it's that tier. Where everybody after that yeah. came from other places, like you have, it's or the movies are different. It's it's the Dwayne Johnson stuff. It's the all these Marvel heroes, you know, or where they're just they're made from different places. Where back in the day, movie stars were doing stuff like this. They were doing original properties and were able to imbue and become characters of their own and not stuff that came from pages or at least all the time from pages. <laughs> and it was just they came from different challenges. They were taught differently too, and. All that well, stuff is just different. different. You make era. a good point. You make a good point because there's two huge actors now that that might be overexposed now that might fit the mold we were looking for okay. that we're talking about right now. Um, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on this. These these were actors who were known names, Oscar nominated actors, but were not superstars who became superstars because of one thing. I'm thinking of Johnny Depp and Robert mm. Downey Jr. Um, you know, where they were, they were known, people knew them, you know, they weren't like non-entities and they were even relied upon in certain aspects. Like you could rely on Robert Downey Jr. when he wasn't in prison to like, you know, do some independent films. And Johnny Depp was always pushing himself to do stuff like the Donnie Brascos and stuff like that. But then they stepped into that, you know, that machine now. Became super. I mean, the fact that, like, if you told me in 1993 that Robert Downey Jr. was going to be like the, one of the biggest stars on the planet, I would like, told you crazy too. That's yeah. nuts. Like, and Johnny Depp too. Like, you know, when you're watching Johnny Depp in some of these early things, you're like, yeah, he's a great actor, but is he going to be like? I got, I got two guys that, like conveniently have stayed out of like i don't want to stay out you know just i don't want to call it, label it down to just superhero movies but for uh-huh. the most part have stayed out of series and blockbusters at least close and they would be at i mean they're at 50 now but like for a while there matt damon did nothing mm-hmm. but make good projects from good people yeah, obviously oceans 11 hit for him born hit for him where they were those were series sure. but they were with great people and then the other guy where he wouldn't i mean he couldn't play this part because he's 50 now but um or you'd have to age and change the where this all goes, and maybe you just. I think I think this would play better as if I mean, well, probably because Bogart looks fifty. The other guy would be DiCaprio. Like yeah, DiCaprio, DiCaprio has avoided the franchises and the series and the and the high the heavy IPs where him playing a world weary dude with the with the smoking jacket pining for a girl. It wouldn't be the departure that we're talking about with Bogart because yeah. the guy's got Titanic on his resume, but. To see him come back and play, what was the last romantic lead we've seen from DiCaprio? I don't think he has the subtlety as an actor to pull it off. Um, 
I think he's too intense. Now, I've always been it, it took me until Shutter Island for me to really yeah. like DiCaprio because to me he always seemed like the pointing and shouting actor. Yeah. Like whereas it right, Bogart never raises his voice in this movie. Yeah, right? I, I don't I know your point. But e- but even when DiCaprio tones it down he still will have he's kind of like Gary Oldman where like he'll always have a scene where he starts screaming for no reason like Oldman's a good Di- comp. yeah D- DiCaprio will always have at least two or three scenes where he's screaming at the top of his lungs about something and crying yeah and it's just I think he's too intense um Damon Damon is it well the, the great thing about Damon that I like about him is that when he started getting to the precipice of maybe being like a prestige actor, he would purposefully, I'm not saying lower himself, but he would be like, yeah. okay, I'm going to be in a Fairly Brothers movie, or I'm going to make... Yeah. He'll remind gonna, us his roots for comedy, right. Yeah, or he'll, or he'll be like, hey, I'm going to make some funny cameos in these random comedies, you know, like... Right. And, and, and that wouldn't, Bogart would never do that. Or, yeah. or he would do something like, Okay, I'm going to do a sci-fi picture this week. Then I'm going to do a drama. Then I'm going to do a family film. Then I'm going to do yeah. another action film. Like Damon knows how to keep it. I'm actually I agree with you more on Damon than DiCaprio. Like you said, he's too I old agree. to play it now. Yeah. But Damon has also, the range. Yeah. But Damon could be like he can be that. Um, he can be that intense figure, like a, a la Goodwill Hunting. Mm-hmm. But then he can also have that quiet intensity the yeah. subtleness um yeah that that and then he can pull off you know he can pull off the snark and and he can do line delivery totally, totally. um he's but a it's great, hard because we're gonna we're reminded of every jimmy kimmel bit and like you said every comedy where that yeah. back that it's that back resume you know yeah yep. that's true this is probably your like we said before this is probably your I don't want to say cringy as scene, but the most on this is your on the nose scene. But it, yeah. but again, like it, I I can only imagine what this would have played like in '42, where you're at. Like I bet this is cheering in the seats be, well, it, to see he, the Allies get one on the Germans in a movie of a war that's still going on. Like I'll compare this again with like um watching RRR on the big screen with a, with a, you know, a crowd, the new Indian stuff, but at the same time, new, the revolutionary stuff where when the good guys get one over and the bad guys, it's cheering in the seats. Well, I also think there's a little, there's enough of a disconnect. Like it's, this is an American movie made for American audiences. Yeah. So what I think, I think there's enough of a disconnect. Like it would be different. It's if, their fight right now, right? Like it, it would be a little bit different if it was the Germans, and then we had a bunch of bros come out and be like America, you know, like, and then right. because yeah. that's pandering yeah. to that audience. This is it is this is us going like, hey, this is one of our allies, but we're also not we're so far away from True. them. It's like we can kind of cheer with them. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's. I think there's a little bit of a disconnect. We we've seen I, it. Like I'm I said, with you. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm like with you. with the with the deer hunter where it's like. You know, that's a little yeah where the ending where it's kind of like okay i get what you're trying to say like but mm. you're way hamming it up now yeah um and i tell you in the same thing though with like with us as america playing big brother to the world in the last 70 years mm. you couldn't make this movie with i mean obviously rick's an american character but this couldn't be you couldn't do an american setting of this we would 
we rewrite enough history books, we over-dominate conversations where that couldn't be the thing. A Star Spangled Banner would be uh, an overdone part. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, even this exchange right here. The Germans are flat out saying, you stay, you're in trouble. Whereas a nefarious villain would just slap this girl around. You know, get your husband out of here. Bring him to me. Or she'd be a hostage at this point. In a, in a hotter, harsher movie. But it's good stuff, though. I'm just watching the movie now. Yeah, sometimes you just have to watch the movie. <laughs> oh, I'm down with that. You, you can't, yeah. you can't talk to too much. <laughs> well, I mean, these two are going to have it out right here. But then, like, when she goes to see him, let's go to see Rick one more time. And kind of with the whole, if I can make this happen, honey, I'm going to make this happen. Because mm-hmm. after this scene, where like, that could have been, like, that was a, yeah, I bet the censors could have been in there like, you can't have these two, you know, having this conversation. And again, in a hotter and harsher movie, that would be played so much more just, yeah, the overtly. Oh, yeah. Of like, I'm going to do anything I can to get these letters off of you. There, there was a movie. I'm going to try to find it. I remember my mom talked about it. I haven't seen either the original or the remake, but okay. I can see it. I can see it in my head. Let me see if I can find it. It has Jeff Bridges. In it. Let's see if I can. Original um, is it True Grit. No, 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 no. Okay, no. Well, no you no, said no. original uh, remake and Bridges, where my brain. No, was I know. I'm sorry. I, but no, it's. Uh, uh, I'm going to find it and then I'll. Uh, let's see. Oh, okay. So I guess, I guess there was this film against all odds. Um, Is that a From Here to Eternity remake? Well, let me see. Let me see. It's so. Because I'm picturing the beach and the kissing. Yeah, against all odds. It's uh, so that was a Taylor 1984 directed by Taylor. It's a remake of Out of the Past. Oh, okay. It's a remake of Out of the Past. Now. My my mom says she saw it uh, after she had watched the original or something, and okay. it it is just like endless like sex scenes and like you know yeah. like, lives is hot. like like very like very gritty and like whereas like you could not do that in Out of the Past in nineteen forty seven mm-hmm. or whatever. So that's the other thing is like I think part of the charm of this movie is the fact that it doesn't have to go hard while still being intensely dramatic. The political intrigue is high. Their relationship right here is, look at the looks on her face where she knows where he has to go. She knows where she's thinking she has to go next. And you don't need it to be spicy. You don't need a shouting match. You don't need guns blazing to be intense and emotionally intense. Even this line of be careful. Does it it bother you, though? Does it it bother you, though, that no, no, that he that he walks by the exact spot where the spy was, and he doesn't even look like that bothers me. I know that's a little. <laughs> I don't know. Like, see, watch. He he goes up to this yeah. thing. The dude was just there. The 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 spy that's uh-huh. trying to you know keep track of. It. Like, he doesn't even look. Like, is the guy still there? Like, he could have been like 
cold cocked right in the back of the head. Yeah. I don't know. Even through that conversation, you know her brain was elsewhere, and here she goes. Like, yeah. I like I like the the crucialness of this next scene is because um and I like how it turns out because like I think in a different movie the decision would be made and we would be barreling our way to the finish and it just it just adds to the mystery instead of seals the deal. <laughs> I like how he he says uh, you know I'll stick my neck out for everybody, but while he's closed losing money, he's still going to pay his whole staff. I know that's Full the thing. Pay. It's like it's front <laughs> public front versus the real man. And like, I would love, like, you got to think like however many years it was between the occupation of Paris and him opening this place and finding these little helpers like this guy and the bartender. And obviously Sam, like how much loyalty has been built in a great way for him. Oh, and here she comes. Mm-hmm. That stinger again. So this and is drapes in our shade. Yeah. So this, now forgive me, even though I just watched it like six hours ago, I don't remember exactly how this scene ends. So is this when it's, it could be implied that they slept uh-huh. together? Okay. I love thinking about that kind of stuff. Like, remember in Empire Strikes Back when you're like, oh, did Han and Leia like have sex like in Cloud City mm-hmm. before the next scene? Like, I, I love, I love the speculation yeah. of how you can read into that kind of stuff. It's fun. Even like Marvel movies too, like you know, they can't all be sexless heroes. There's got to be moments where shaboom happened somewhere. Obviously, Tony makes it a little more clear than others, but oh yeah, there's <laughs> there's got to be moments where when the when the the capes are hanging up and bones going on. So yeah, but, but it doesn't but again, have to be as it doesn't yeah. have to be as uh, outright as you know, uh, mm-hmm. Watchmen. Watchmen where they're fucking to Hallelujah. Oh, because uh, oh, <laughs> like, they're getting yeah, off yeah. on killing people. <laughs> same and uh, like, same thing with this scene. Like, I this is a place where censorship can still win. Like, and I and then the filmmakers and the writers are like, "Hey, we got to get this emotion out of this moment without going here. How do you do it? Right. You put these right. great actors in great places. You frame them. You shade them. You get her welling up with tears and her intensity. And it, and it works. Yeah, I I don't." Yeah, she's good. Um, I also noticed that you ever notice that she's always filmed from the same angle because I guess she had a she had a particular angle that she liked to be filmed on. You ever notice that she's always filmed from that angle? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's virtually never her face is always in that position as opposed to like from the other side, which I always found kind of interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm. That's how well he knows. Walks right to that gun. Yeah, I like I like a character that you can kind of tell like yeah, if he did get shot, he'd be like, all right, well, I don't have to worry about this anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he. I mean, that neutrality we've been, neutrality slash front we've been seeing with him all movie, he flexes it right there of like, no, 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 you could kill me right now, do me a favor, and it, it, he, would, he would go down, that's his version of going down swing is not swing. 
But then, yeah, she's just, yeah, all in it. Oof. Music comes in, reminds you where they were. Because I got to think, like I said, in a first time audience live crowd, he did not just kiss that man's wife. You know, like, and here, like, yes, he's dressed, but we're smoking a cigarette. Did they just do a few things? All right. So I don't know. Don is still there. You can hear me, but I'll take over solo if I have to. I hear you. Do you hear me? So for for Mitch's sake, just in case uh, you're still getting a recording, because looks like i'm still here so i'm gonna i'm gonna continue i'm gonna continue and see if uh okay. don comes back i hear you um but yeah man i think i was reading some um interest about the censorship we were talking to me and don were talking about censorship before um where i think I think there's something out there where you 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 can't um like break a married couple up or something and yep that's true yeah it, so like I think they had to put in the script like why would you lie to me about being married that way it wasn't like as illicit as yeah, possible that's I don't part know. of it I Apparently think the source hear me yeah but I think the source play in the source novel has them married you know where you can get away with that in a novel. Oh, I'm sorry. You can get away with that in a play more than that. So maybe we're both recording our own commentary right now. And then Mitch is going to have to try to sync it together. Don's probably been talking for 35 minutes now. And I, I've been interrupting him every time talking about, uh, like facial close-ups. Maybe. We can play it like this. Hello? Hello. Hello. Hi, Don. If there's a way, there's you, a way can you can mute, mute me, but still, still here, here, then we then can we know can we're know talking, we're talking, talking to, each to each other. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, so I mute. Okay, gotcha. I, yeah, you're here. Put earbuds in the phone or something. Uh, I don't have any. Because I hear you on Zencaster, no problem. Hmm. It's interesting. All right. Skirmish and Ruckus. All right, I'll put you on... uh, Like, don't put me on speaker. Okay. Do one ear with me. Gotcha. Yeah. And I can hear you in Zencaster, no problem, so that's going to be fine. Okay, so I'm sure it'll just... Yeah, pick up the recording. So I, this is great behind the, the behind the curtain one. stuff, guys. But possibly. <laughs> All right, let the me... fact that, uh-oh, she's here and he walks downstairs, uh-oh. Take my headphones off. That way I can put my ear to the phone. Yeah. There we go. We're almost going to make it. That's why I'm like, I can't, can't pause and refresh. Yeah. <laughs> I love the set. The set design is so cool. Like I want to be again, in, in backlot stuff. Yeah. Oh, same here. I'd love to drink at that bar. But it's also like 
you got to think with like his little apartment above it. You got to think there's other rooms. It would play yeah. like a up, yep, and even the waiter's like, "No, you didn't." And then here, like the obviously the way their conversation finishes, you wonder, man, did he just pick her? And then the way he will either help or get out of the way of him, mm. where they don't. I mean, it, this is that moment in a different movie in a di different love triangle where one of these guys shows weakness, shows villainy, or pushes out, but neither one do. Like he's still a stalwart leader. He's still super neutrality. At least has his front, and that's where it's going to be. At least between these two. But the mutual respect, I appreciate, even though they hide it to the end. Mm -hmm. I love his pushback. Victor's pushback that is like, hey, you can't just be this neut neutral loser here. I'm on to something and you could be good for it. Mm hmm. And he just comes out and says, it. boom. I do. I do like the kind of. Maturity. This is Paul Hunter's best scene. I know yeah. he, you call him the weak link, but this is his best scene. You know, he, I mean, when I say weak link, I just mean like everybody else is so damn good in this movie. It's, you know. Oh, yeah. It's hard to compete. But uh, no, I, I really like the maturity of. uh how the men are handling this, you know, like I feel like a lesser yeah. screenplay or oh, a lesser a director match. would yeah. Yeah, it'd be a shouting match or they'd be angry. Yeah. They'd have fist you, you know, it, yeah. yeah it, it, there would be some, you know, I'm the better man skirmish, some arm wrestling match or it's so few, so few love triangles. Let both guys be worthy. Yeah. yeah. They're rare. Like sweet home Alabama in this movie is like the two I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> Here's another Which is weird. Cause it couldn't be, different movies here's another, but even this little moment right here like the way that bogart takes that drag that cigarette that smirk when that that transition they're like wait he could still undo this whole thing and be the bad guy i'll give you another weird comp okay liar liar with jim carrey uh with the, how, where are we because going they never like demonize carrie elways as the stepfather like it's not That's right. the movie is not trying to Other get than being kind of semi incompetent with its claw thing, you know? Yeah. But that's it. Like it's, it's, he's never made to be like the one where you're like, we have to pick Jim Carrey over this guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. It helps. Yeah, it's very, rare. Yeah. It's Even very, as rare. you wish away from dropping panties. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I mean, Princess Bride fans will tell you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've never seen not that movie. Oh, you you can't speak. You can't say that out loud in our friend Aaron White's feeling film film group. Drop that post. You're gonna get bombed like I just Baghdad. I, I've never. My Go. daughter's seen it. I haven't seen it. I've never no. seen it. It's I I I am not a five star raider the way everyone else is. But you say it around some circles. It's the greatest thing in the whole wide world. Well, that's what I'm saying. I feel like I've avoided it because of that. Like because it's got so much hype. Like how could I possibly like it? You know? Yeah. I mean, it's it's fanciful, it's cute, The Princess Bride, but it, it's that's a movie that I know it hokey by design, but sometimes that overcomes it. 
don't know. I, it's too too hokey for me. I get it though. And I hear the next thing is this little scheme here, where again you 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 pile on that Bogart could still turn. Whereas most movies would be accelerating the heroism right now. Yep. Oh, that'd be great for the audio. The hey, car alarm going off. <laughs> I, I got a furnace next to me. Don't worry. <laughs> Waiting for my kids to walk down here and say, Daddy, we're going to bed. <laughs> they better be in bed. It's 10 to 9. But no, um, folks, if you're still listening to this, uh, if you ever want a better commentary than the two of us, film critic Roger Ebert did a commentary on Casablanca that has been on the editions of this since DVD, and it's chef kiss perfect because you get his level of expertise, but also in the way that he's not a complete nerd where there's fandom there, where you hear appreciation, you hear a, you hear a true lover of the movie at the same time as you hear a student of the game, and it's awesome. I, I generally am not a fan of like historians doing commentaries on film. Yeah. And I, I consider Ebert a historian, but that might be an exception. I mean, there's always exceptions, but like I, 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 I could tell you it is. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm, like, yeah. But the, the second, the second commentary that's always been on these discs is one from historian Rudy Baylor. And that is, that's pure notes. It's, it's just, they almost cast this part. It's, it's a memo from the studio said it's all history. And it's just, it's, it's fascinating, but it's dry. Whereas Ebert yeah. will let you soak a few moments and yeah, it's, it's, it's really brilliant. I, I, I kind of feel like for the most part, I like to have the commentaries from uh, like, if it's coming from a source, like I like to have the, I like to have it from like the filmmakers themselves or the cast or whatever. I mean, but also I do love audio commentaries from like people like us, like that are enjoying something. Or, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, it goes both ways, but yeah, it does. I've, I've, yeah. I've listened to somewhere. It's just like, okay, I get it. You, you have, you, yeah. you're reading your history notebook right now, but. Right. I, I think um, some of those criterion ones every now and then we'll have, obviously there's some dry ones because the film historians cover those a lot, but like, yeah, you'll have a like a filmmaker of a like a modern filmmaker, obviously doing a commentary on maybe one of their one of their old favorites. Like I know, like um, oh, who's the filmmaker? Like William William Friedkin's done a commentary to on somebody else's movie, but you're like, man, that's William Friedkin. He knows what he's doing, right? Or right. um, or um, who's the guy who did Last Picture Show? It's got that very long Bogdanovich. Yeah, he's done some commentaries on some things where like, man, he. It's somebody else's stuff, but he gets it. And that's kind of fun to listen to sometimes. Yeah. Uh-huh. This movie flies, too. Oh, I know. Like, like I said, it's almost over. It, I can't believe it. <laughs> right. But like we had that nine minute, you know, flashback and we're still, we're still pumping and we're still pumping until he pulls that gun. Yep. We're still pumping with, oh crap, what's going to go on? We're still at, oh crap, what's going to go on? I've always wanted to say, have you taken leave of your senses to somebody, but I never have. <laughs> I'm going to have to use that this week when we get back to work. I did. 
I did live my dream, though, a long time ago when I was uh, being let go from a job. Uh, someone yeah. did call me a loose cannon, and I always wanted to be called a loose cannon because of uh, like you know watching like Lethal Weapon and shit like that. I was always yeah. like, I'd love to be called a loose cannon. Someone's like, "You're a loose cannon, Johnson." I'm like, "Yes," and then I got fired, and it was terrible. But you know, for for a moment, I was very happy. Yeah, that that would be fun. <laughs> See, when I lose a job, I want to be the fuck you guy from <laughs> from Half Baked. <laughs> Yeah. You're cool. I'm out. Yeah. Would be that guy. That's the way I want to lose a job. <laughs> well, first, I sh- and I should clarify. Yeah. And I should clarify this was uh not when I was working for education. <laughs> so oh, let's put it yeah. that way. <laughs> Just Good for anyone listening out on a, out yeah. on a commentary. For anyone who's listening out there, uh this was long before I was a teacher. <laughs> yeah. was, so we're at that spot though, where this is the ending, and this was the the nut they could not crack while making the movie. When you when you hear Ebert, Ebert tell it, or you hear Rudy Bamer tell it, like that, this was the how do we figure this all out? How do we make it work? How do you, you know, get away? You know, how does anyone get away? Who gets away? Who goes with whom? And they, I I, I don't remember if they uh, from the facts if they like shot different one. I, this it, it, in modern days they would shoot both and test two and get an audience to decide, you know, or, uh, you know, a focus study to decide. But I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, I'm probably going to be shouted down as wrong. The only one they shot was the one we're watching. Where this turned right here. Because when I read something where Bogart said something where they, he, they didn't know how it was going to end, but I'm not sure. I can't, don't quote me on that. Yeah, I, I thought so, that they, they got to here and they went on, went with it. But they, it's not like they shot three and had to decide. And again, during wartime, here the you know your the stakes just go up, and they're there. Mm. I knew we'll always have Paris. Uh, for the longest time as a Star Trek The Next Generation episode title <laughs> before ah. I knew it was Casablanca. <laughs> You're flashing your nerddom, which it, you've done before again. Here it, it is. It was the one where Patrick Stewart and Michelle Phillips from the Mom and the Papas uh, uh-huh. have, have a romance in Paris. So well, Somebody call Lauren Knight. She'll want to know these STNG references right here. <laughs> Season one. So it's a terrible oh. episode, but yeah. Yeah. There it is. Nice callback. Good script writing there. Oh, I know. Like, especially if we're talking about postcards and cocktail napkins trying to get to the ending of this. The other piece that they couldn't figure out the ending, obviously, who goes, like, which guy wins? But then, what do you do with Louis? What do you do with the Germans? Mm hmm. And like I said, in a harder and harsher movie, we were balls deep last night in my place. You didn't know when you were there. Because again, censors, you know. I'm interested to know. I mean, I don't know why this came up when I thought of balls deep, but uh, (laughs) but 
Folks, what? have you ever heard a Casablanca commentary with balls deep? Here we are. What I wonder if, like, I wonder if anyone would find Bogart sexy now. That's he's one. Like, I mean, I don't think Benedict Cumberbatch is a good-looking man. Where he's just awkward featured. Where I don't think. I mean, Bogart's not that. He's more, like I said, J.K. Simmons. He's more grizzled. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a good question. Like, yeah, I'm going to pick the tall, dashing German guy to my left. Or I don't know what, <laughs> what, what Paul Heinrich is, uh, nationality-wise. American actor, but I, he's playing Hungarian. That's right. So, mm. yeah. No, I'll take the dashing Hungarian. Thank you very much. Bogart's cool and all. Get free drinks for life. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it, that's kind of like my, 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 my little joke of cheers is like... He never really settles on a girl because every girl's like, "Why do I want to marry a fucking bartender? <laughs> a former you know, alcoholic, like, terrible yeah. baseball player." Uh, what catch? I mean, he's, I'm sure he's tall and great in the sack, but what am I really getting here? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I remember, you know, I watched Cheers my whole life, and I remember I watched once yeah. with my mom, and she saw Ted Danson, she was just like, "Oh God, he is so handsome." And I'm oh, just like, "Good looking man." Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he's a silver fox now where he still looks good. Yeah, he does. Yeah, the, the roundup usual suspects line is... That's so great. Com- well, just, I don't if I remember correctly, the not pulled from the play and the, the other ending they had to figure out. Yeah. Now, one of these showdowns we get, you know, because, you know, bad guy takes on another bad guy. Bogart's wheelhouse right here. If I remember reading correctly, this was um, uh, Car- uh, who plays Strasser? Um, uh, Heinrich Veit, right? The- Conrad Veit. Right, yeah. This was his last film. Was it? I think. He died soon after, I believe. Oh, wow. Where, what a way to go out. You go out as the stud villain in a big movie, so. Yeah, it's true. There is a novel out there called as time goes by that's uh, that's a novelization sequel mm-hmm. of this of like these two going off and being freedom fighters in north africa you know because they they go walking off and what do they do and you know and um is it good it, I, it oh I, I, it sounds terrible i've not made the discipline to read it but uh but like apparently they get in pickles in africa together and sam gets in trouble and you know you know tries to stay with them and he it's like I don't know which one of them dies. It 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 looks it sounds melodramatic and hurry like the same way we hear about like the the novel sequel to Gone with the Wind just not being the same as Gone with the Wind, you know. Well, like, good luck I, capturing magic in that bottle twice. Well, I'm actually I'm actually living that right now because um, a lot of my friends have been like, "You've got to read Heat too," you know, the, oh, by Michael okay. Mann. And I, I tell you what, I Heat is my second favorite movie of all time. I like the stuff in my head about what happened like afterwards, but now I'm reading it and I'm like, God, I can't take that back. Like now I can't take it back because now it's like quote unquote canon of what happened afterwards, you know? It's kind yeah. of a bummer. So I don't, I can't imagine reading a sequel to this and being no, same. I haven't, like I said, I haven't just cause somebody got, got it for me. Like, Oh yeah, I bet you love this. And I'm like, I might, but then I might not. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look at that. That was us doing a DVD commentary. 
a DVD no, no commentary. <laughs> yeah, I call them still DVD commentaries. Yeah, There's no post credit scene here. No Samuel Jackson. Oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah, he's not an Avenger. Just the piracy warning. Well, folks, thanks for listening to Will and I. Um, we'll catch you next time for a, a full and normal episode of Cinephile Hits Fit, but we hope you enjoy this listen. Bye.